Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest joining me via Zoom from Cache Valley, Utah, is my friend Taylor Niebergall. Is that how I say your name, Taylor? That's it, Niebergall. Will you um, tell our listeners how to spell your very cool last name? It's an unexpected spelling. It's N-I-E-B-E-R-G-A-L-L. And um, Taylor and I have connected because we're both podcasters. And Taylor has started a podcast called Building Bridges in spring of 2021. And I don't want to just be the podcast guy. So I like other podcasts um, sort of being successful. And I like to give air cover to other people that step forward and want to do podcasts. So this is a chance for you listeners to connect with Taylor and her building building bridges podcasts and the things that are important to her. Um, just by way of introduction, Taylor is married, active LDS, two boys, grew up in Star Valley, Wyoming, um, graduated from Utah State in music therapy, which is a really cool degree um, that I'm learning more about and its ability to help and heal people. So welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thank you so much, Richard. I'm so so happy to be here. It's kind of a dream come true for me, actually. So that's great. Just tickled. Well, listeners, we started with prayer and we just hope that something that um, Taylor shares will be helpful for you. Um, so I'll turn it over to you. Maybe you can just start with building bridges and why you decide to do this podcast. Thank you. Um, I would imagine that there's quite a few listeners that are aware that Richard Osler's brother, David Osler, has written a book called Bridges. And so his book was basically the inspiration for my podcast, that book, and basically the promptings of the Holy Spirit in my life in a major way. So I will just start by explaining a little bit of why I started this podcast. And I'd actually really be interested to hear, Richard, um, your origins to why you started your podcast too. Um, but for me, uh, and in the very first episode of my podcast, I have like a 10 minute introductory video or not a video, but a, an episode where you can hear more details about this. But basically my friend left the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints sometime between college and April of 2021. And I had reconnected with her about um, around the spring and I just, I hadn't had the opportunity to hear her story. And when I had the opportunity to hear her story, it struck a chord deep inside of me that kind of brought this awareness to me of the importance of all that I, all that I lacked, all the information I lacked, all the knowledge that I lacked and a desire to learn more about perspectives that I just, I couldn't have outside of my own and specifically in building bridges. And it was always for me about the relationship between people who leave the church and people who stay in the church and making sure that everyone can have successful tools to being kind and keeping like family reunions, not awkward. And for there not to be some sort of stigma in circles when you get together and like, oh, well, this person's not a member of the church anymore for them not to be treated differently 
um, it just became really important to me to focus on what we can do to be kind and to see each other and um, also to learn about some of the the reasons that we do act in these ways like what's the origin of my action here i don't i don't know that i'm acting this way or i wasn't expecting that i would have this reaction or just kind of helping people become aware of their feelings surrounding this and for me it's all about trying to be more like the savior cuz he's the end all do all in my in my belief system i I'm always thinking like, what would the savior do? And how can I be more like the savior? And in what ways was I being not like the savior and didn't even realize it till now? And how can I learn more and be better? And so um, with talking with Emily, we just, we both of us had this passion to, to help people gain the tools to build bridges. And so I said, Hey, let's, let's make a club. We could be the bridge builders brigade. And she said, a club is ambitious. (laughs) How funny, um, you know, something more realistic is what if we did a podcast together? And I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's do it right now. And she's like, well, hold on. I didn't, I wasn't like, I'm not ready to do this. So I, I, a little, I was a little bit ambitious and she was a little bit like, okay, we need to put the brakes on that. And for me, um, the spirit was strong. Like you don't need to put the brakes on that. You need to put the gas on that. And so I'm like, Emily, I think I'm going to nothing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to move forward if that's okay with you. And she said, yes, please move forward with it and do it. I'm not in a good place to do it right now, but I'll be a guest. And, um, so basically I just, I try and get a new person on every time that has left the church because I have, you know, a strong opinion that I can't bring a lot to the table if it's just my perspective. And I want to get, the perspective of somebody that's metaphorically on the other side of that bridge. So every episode I try and bring somebody on that has left the church and we have discussed a wide range of topics and I'll tell you some of them. Um, We have episodes about labels, about us versus them mentality, about black and white thinking um, and some that are in the works still um, how to have a healthy paradigm shift the role of our beliefs, navigating conflict. I'm actually having your brother David on next, I think next month. I need to schedule it with him. We don't have a date totally pinned down, but sometime this summer, and which is a huge dream come true. But at the beginning, Emily and I were like, oh my gosh, what if one day we have David Hostler on the podcast? <laughs> um, and so just being on Richard's podcast right now, guys, wow, how cool is this that this is happening? Um, and I could go on and on, but I feel like I'm going to take a pause now and let you ask any clarifying questions and kind of turn it back over to you. Um, it's cool that you're um, willing to step in the space and build a bridge. I think sometimes it's one of the hardest bridges to build is to people that have left our church. I think it's almost easier to have relations with people that have never considered our church, um, never explored our church, or happy in their own faith. I see our leaders. Um, working effectively with Jewish leaders, with Black leaders, with leaders of other faiths, and and sometimes we've learned how to do that better than um, sort of connect with, support, understand people that have left our own faith. And so I think what you're doing is good. It's not easy because you're hearing reasons why people leave the faith, and and that can be a little jarring to Latter Day Saints that often don't hear these stories. Um, so that can be jarring and, um, talk about, just tell us more about 
you know, I hope listeners got that. Your guests, I guess with the exception of a few, are people that have left the faith. Are your guests, and are you trying to get people back in the faith, or are your guests trying to get you out of the faith, or talk more about this bridge? Um, thank you for asking that question. I I think I would like to answer it, if I may, by reading a blog post that a friend of mine published for me that's kind of an introductory to my podcast because a lot of people are fearful to even listen like, oh, this has got an agenda. It's going to persuade me one way or another. That makes me uncomfortable and, and standoffish. So, um, you know, the short answer is no, we're not trying to to persuade anybody to come back. Um, I make it clear that the people that come on aren't persuading me um, to change my beliefs. Um, but I'm going to just read this, this blog article and I can tell other people where they can find it and read it too. Um, and also, you know, if you've got a family member that you, you would like to try and help them understand why this might be beneficial, you can always start by saying, well, here, read this kind of um, explanation about the podcast. If you're afraid to go listen to it, maybe you can just read this explanation about it, or you could read a review about it. Um, because it's strange to me how many people have found it to be kind of a scary space to step into where for me, I think, um, it doesn't need to be scary. So this is what the blog post says bridges. Why do we build them? Certainly not to drag someone from across the abyss, separating you over to your side, tie them up, say, and then quickly burn down the bridge so that they can never go back. No. Bridges are built for the purpose of exploring new places and having the beautiful liberty of being able to choose when you'd like to cross, how often you'd like to cross, and how long you'd like to stay. It allows us to see things and people and places that we would have otherwise never encountered. Bridges literally span chasms and provide safe passages to the other side and back. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith crisis can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. That's why I've created the Building Bridges podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that divide with the tools they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode features both perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools that can be used to literally bridge the gap. There are so many topics we get to explore in the Building Bridges podcast. Our perceptions and their impacts, us versus them mentality, black and white thinking, how to have a healthy paradigm shift, etc. This project has been insightful for me in so many ways. As an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I find it interesting how many other active members view my project with skepticism. Post members have also expressed hesitation in listening to my episodes, fearing I may have a hidden agenda to change their minds. Similarly, the active members seem to fear I might have my mind changed and lose my testimony. It seems to me people with hesitations towards bridge building fear that in doing so, they put themselves at risk to cross into an unknown territory, get held there against their will, and be trapped on the other side forever. For post members, this could manifest as a fear of an active member trying to convert them. And for active members, the fear is the same, the fear that the post members are trying to convert them. If we're having assumptions that the other is going to attempt to show us why we're wrong, 
then it would be understandably scary and difficult to build a bridge with that person. But that is not what we do in my podcast. And that is not what bridge building is about. Like I said in the beginning, the purpose of building a bridge is to use the bridge, not to burn it. I think many people confuse building bridges with abandoning your beliefs. On the contrary, bridge building is not the same as becoming unified in our opinions, but rather developing the trust to share different beliefs without an expectation of being attacked. In his recent conference address, which I love this so much, Elder Rendland said this of Zion people to whom Christ visited in the Book of Mormon. Do you think that the people were unified because they were all the same or because they had no differences of opinion? I doubt it. Well, I doubt it too. Rather, I believe learning to love people with different opinions helps make our time on earth a little bit more like heaven. Bridge builders are working to freely explore, joyfully connect, and genuinely learn from all that lies beyond the chasms of their own personal lives without the fear that they will get kidnapped from their metaphorical homes. At first, I thought the way active members worried over the caliber of my testimony was funny, but now I recognize that the insecurity and confusion that they might have could be seriously hindering their own bridge building opportunities. Likewise, my post member friends' insecurities and confusion about my intentions could also pose a problem for their bridge building opportunities because that also shows a focus on assumptions rather than a focus on being open to genuinely learning from people who think differently than themselves. When we're afraid to learn from different perspectives, we are limiting our growth to make meaningful connections. At the same time, when we are brave enough to gain perspective, we earn a sense of trust and respect that allows us to feel safe, knowing that the metaphorical homes of our beliefs won't be threatened. Once a bridge like this is built, there is no reason to fear learning from another because seeking to change the other person's mind is not part of the process. And then I include a few um, reviews from listeners, but I'm going to skip over that for this reason. Just speed it up a little and jump to the end where I say, if you have experienced any sort of relationship estrangement caused by a difference of belief, or if you're interested in learning and practicing skills in civility, I invite you to join me in becoming a bridge builder. I believe that estranged relationships are not doomed to the width of the gulf, but can in fact become just as strong as ever. Bridge builders seek to find the tools to form bridges that will allow these relationships to flourish again, making the chasm less daunting, making yourself more emotionally available and open to your loved one, learning from new perspectives and planting seeds of love, trust, and credibility along the path. Um, and you can find bridge building podcasts on Amazon podcasts, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Podbean. And um, then I include my, my email on my Facebook page as well. So. There's a little summary. You have any questions about any of that? Then hit me with them. I think that's terrific. And listeners, just so you know, we'll link to this podcast series in our show notes. We'll link also to my brother David's book, Bridges. If any of you are not familiar with that, the title of that book is Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. And like Taylor's suggesting, I've always felt that the tools, even though Taylor is really in this space of non-agenda um, there are some that actually want to stay in the church, and um, that's part of my brother's book is just bringing additional tools to family members, to priesthood leaders, to young men and young women's leaders, really society leaders that give them another set of tools to help those that have questions 
I felt that I had a set of tools as a missionary to help people join the church, but I felt like I needed a completely different set of tools to minister to those that wanted to stay in the church. And the original tools I had are helpful at times, but you, that's what I like about this book is the additional tools it brings. And because um, I've recognized there are a lot of people in a faith crisis that actually want to find a way to stay, um, but some don't. And um, then we need to do what Taylor's doing is build a bridge of understanding this sort of non-agenda love, preserve the relationship. So it's a really important space. Some might say, Taylor, um, when we listen to people that have left the church, it can be jarring. It can. There are people that have listened to people who have left the church that have left the church because they've exposed them to things they weren't aware of or um, they didn't have the sort of the foundation um, to navigate the things they were hearing that perhaps they haven't heard the first time for the first time. Did you experience any of that? I don't feel like for me, I've had anything be incredibly jarring for me. However, I would say that I've learned a lot and I have adjusted my paradigm to fit, um, to fit places for continuing to learn. And I'm trying to build a mentality to prepare for what could always possibly be jarring. And I really think that that is beneficial for my mental health and I think would be beneficial for most people. You know, if you're going to, you know, have these relationships or estrangements that you want to seek to resolve, then that is a good thing to do. You know, I've heard the term of having things get piled on your shelf and then the shelf just breaks. And so I feel like in doing this podcast, I am learning to, um, find out if I have a shelf and if so, is there anything on it and dust it down and look at it. And, um, I like to view the items on my shelf without an agenda. I, I'm not always good at it. I, I love to try and find a one size fits all solution for every single item on the agenda. And so I have to always remind myself that, Oh, just because this person on the, on my episode had this experience doesn't mean that like that will fit me necessarily. And I can't like prescribe that this is how you should approach this topic because everyone has a different journey in, in figuring out how to approach these things. But I really feel like I am getting better at taking things down from my, my shelf and looking at them and putting them back. I've also learned a lot about, uh, I wish I could remember what it was called, but there's, um, a man who developed the, I think six different stages of faith. Um, just the more I learn about it, I'm like, Oh, you know, if I'm, if I'm having this struggle, if I feel like jarred right now, I don't know, think necessarily that I'm having a faith crisis, but maybe I'm having a little transition between a, a stage three faith perspective to a stage four or something like that. And I feel like the more I, I'm learning about what might be going on with me, if I'm quote unquote jarred, the better equipped I'll be to help my children when inevitably, excuse me, inevitably one day uh, I have to help a friend or a child who is having a terrible experience with something that's breaking off of their shelf and, and comfort them and say, Hey, this is actually really normal. It's great to have questions and it's normal to feel a little bit triggered. And you know what, you might just be having a transition between 
a stage three type of faith to a stage four type of faith. And you know what growth is, is good and it's healthy and we don't need to be afraid of, of this kind of mental adjustment. We just need to be optimistic and faithful. And I believe, you know, speaking on behalf of only myself, that truth is not going to be shot down in any way. And so the more you learn, that's truth. You know, you can't learn something that's going to undo a truth that you already knew. And sometimes because of black and white thinking, it really feels like that can happen. I don't believe it can. I really believe that truth is eternal and we just can't shoot it down. And sometimes we confuse truth with, with culture. We confuse doctrine with culture. We confuse history with, with um, gospel. And, you know, let's just explore those things. Let's work through them together. Let's not have a shame stigma. Let's not freak out and hide. Let's talk about it because isolation is what makes it worse and communicating and being open and finding connection. I really think that that is the antidote for a lot of the problems that people find themselves in when they have a faith transition or a faith crisis. Oh, it breaks my heart because they're all alone. And what they really need is basically what you do, Richard, which is they need someone to listen and learn from them and love them. So um, I just really want to say you got figured out <laughs> and I guess I'm trying to figure that out myself and I'm not there yet, but I'm definitely trying. I've improved. I hope I keep improving. It's a really terrific segment, Taylor. I think our listeners will get a feel for your good heart and your love of all of our heavenly parents, children. I love, there's a couple of really good golden nuggets in there. I think you've got young boys. I assume they're younger than 10. Just when people say young, I'm thinking, they might have been three and five or six and eight. Even younger, yeah. <laughs> They're young kids. So I, that was really interesting because the skills you're developing now, I agree, help you as a parent when your kids, you know, in the teenage years and later and earlier start asking hard questions. Um, and they will just know you're a safe person to ask hard questions and you can handle hard questions. And isn't that what we want as parents is for kids to feel safe opening up to us about hard questions to create a, one of the things I wish I'd done better that um, we can do for those of you who are younger is create a culture in your family where you, um, you, the kids know they can ask hard questions. And, and if they've made mistakes, that this is a safe place to open up about the mistakes we have you know, rules in our home and we invite you to follow the rules, but we know you're not going to be able to follow the rules all the time. And we want you to know this is how we'll respond when you break the rules. Um, the first thing we're going to tell you is we love you and we're going to put our arms around you and acknowledge the courage it took for you to tell us what's going on in your life. So I think there's some wonderful skills there that'll bless you and your family um, just to be able to create a safe place for your kids. And um, listeners, I think when we say kind things about people that have stepped away from the church, I don't think it makes it more likely our kids or people around us are going to step away from the church. But I think it makes us um, safe for the people can open to us about the realities of their life. Um, so it's just kind of part of creating a culture around ourselves and families and church and work environment so that people know you're safe and can open up to you. And that's one of our greatest chances as Latter-day Saints to bear more than comfort is when people will be vulnerable with us and open up about the realities of their life. And and um, what you're doing is sort of 
you know, people know like Dr. Taylor, what's going on in my life. Cause she is saying, you know, she's engaging with people who've stepped away from the church and trying to build a bridge and have those conversations. So I thought that was terrific. And listeners, I've kind of shared this at times in a couple of books I've written, but um, I wish I had some of the skills Taylor had. I'm 61. And for a long time, my home taught a fellow in our ward who was active in our ward. And um, I think I moved in the ward after he was, I think he was just barely active. But when I became his home teacher, he was not active, but he had been very active, had some senior callings in the ward and he accepted me into his home. And I visited him for three or four years pretty frequently. And we ended up in prayer, but we just did small talk the whole time. Um, and we never addressed the elephant in the room. Why he doesn't come to church? And I would, I assumed he didn't want to talk about that. I was wrong. And after talking to most people, people would want, just like your friend Emily, uh, most people that have stepped away from the church um, do want to talk about that. It's a big deal, um, especially if they've been in for a couple decades, served missions, paid tithing, served. It is very difficult to step away from the church. And there's an emotional, and, and Taylor's nodding her head as she knows this space. They still need us to mourn, bear, and comfort for them in a non-agenda way um, to support them. And I think that creates a bridge. And I'd wish, I never asked this guy why he left the church. And um, then another friend of mine talked about visiting, teaching, and another fellow or home teaching, I guess, for a brother. And he'd lived in his ward for 25 to 30 years and had never been active, but had been active much of his adult life before then. And his brother just got it to the point where there was a level of trust. And he said, brother, will you just tell me why you don't come to church? And this brother with big tears in his eyes says, I've lived in this neighborhood for 20, 25 years and no one's asked that question. And it wasn't asked in in an agenda. It was asked just out of love and to be able to put, to understand what that brother was going through and, and to create a true friendship. Um, that wasn't based on a transaction or wasn't based on a goal, just because that's a fellow child of heavenly parents and deserves love and support and understanding. And so I think generally once there's a position of a friendship and trust like you and Emily have, um, that people are okay sharing why they left the church. And most of those people don't want you to leave the church with them. They just want permission to live their life the way they feel is best. And often we can heal people, and maybe even this is a little agenda-based, listeners, we can, some people get pretty angry, uh, you know, when they leave the church, and it's pain, and pain can turn into anger, and they may direct that to people in the church, and but I think if we sit with people and honor their pain and their story, it sometimes diffuses that a little bit, and allows them to heal and move forward, and um helps their anger kind of subside if active Latter-day Saints can sort of just sit with them and acknowledge, you know, and support them in their new role. Even though for those of us that are active Latter-day Saints, we may grieve, especially if it's a family member that someone's left the church. We have hopes and dreams and, and those, there may be um, real mourning that's justified for members of the church that have lost somebody that's very close to them that have left the church and they're wondering what that means for their eternal family. So it's a complicated space as Taylor knows, and um, you're doing good work. More thoughts that come to your mind as I kind of share some experiences. Yeah. um, 
you mentioned with that man that you were in his home that, you know, you never really felt like you could address the elephant in the room. And I think sometimes when I get that feeling of, oh, should I bring up like, oh my gosh, like I just, I'm noticing that like, you're not living these values that I thought you used to live. And I kind of want to say something about it, but I don't know what I would say. I think more often than not, I am subconsciously recognizing that I do have an agenda. And so it becomes an elephant in the room because I'm like, if I say this, they're going to think that I don't approve of them. And I think sometimes when we look really closely inwardly, we'll say, well, maybe is there something I'm seeing about them that's less than what they were before is because they made this change, make me view them differently. And is that going to come out because the elephant in the room could very well be um, a signal to us that, you know what, maybe you're being judgmental right now. Um, for me, at least, I feel like that is the case and I'm not perfect. I still find myself having an agenda. Um, but, you know, I want to give grace to that because it's really hard to separate this desire to share the gospel, something that you love so much that you believe in and bless so many lives as I do with um, an agenda to change you and to say you're doing it wrong because that never helped anybody. Um, and so I feel like maybe a way that you could honor coming together in that area is, or at least for me, I think, well, gee, if I have this supposedly holier than thou kind of agenda, like I want you to do it this way, let's step back from that. And okay, well, why do I think my way is better? Oh, I just, I believe in the goodness of the gospel. Oh, okay. Well, if you believe in the goodness of the gospel, let's just try and approach this the way that Jesus would approach this. And in that sense, you can leave the, the judgment and the agenda behind of you need to do it like this. Um, and you can still bring that, this love for this person and this desire for them to have the blessings of the gospel um, that can still guide in, a, in an effective way to sit with them and to, to build that place of trust. Because um, like you said, you, you had kind of gotten to a place where there was a trust and a friendship to ask you know, why did you leave the church? And he could respond knowing that it wasn't an agenda or a judgmental question, um, but a, a loving question. And in that sense, the gospel is present. The spirit is present. When you, when you come in and you say, wow, I can't believe you're no longer wearing your garments. And I see that extra piercing. And so like, what, what when did this happen? Um, the gospel isn't present in that conversation and the spirit isn't present in that conversation. Instead, what I think happens is we are adopting a, oh, you're doing things wrong because it's not the way I do them. And that just brings a spirit of judgment and hostility. And people feel that right away. And so I think to address that elephant in the room, you got to remember, what do I actually want? I don't actually want them to live the gospel the way I live it. I want to be more Christ-like. I want that for their life. I want that for my life. I'm not saying the way I do things is better. Oh, maybe I could be better. Let's get the spirit in this room. Let's get the gospel in this room. In order for that to happen, I need to get spiritually humble before I ask them something because I don't want to come across judgmental. Oh, is it coming across judgmental? Maybe I need to rewind and you know bring that, that spirit in, which basically at this point, I'm just like reiterating it over and over again, kind of beating a dead horse. So. I think uh, that's those great. Were, those are my first thoughts, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, sometimes we'll see outward signs of somebody that a family member or friend, and we'll see a double piercing. Um, we might somehow notice they're not wearing their garment, and it does cause us perhaps to wonder. And I think that's normal. I think Latter Day Saints shouldn't feel shame for wondering if somebody um, situations change in the church because of something we pick up, but I think we should not make any conclusions just because of one or two things we picked up, or we shouldn't make conclusions that we've heard something and we shouldn't draw a conclusion. I think it's possible that if there's a, a, a relationship of love and the person feels that a question out of love, like, I've noticed you don't wear your garment anymore, that's not something we have responsibility for somebody, but it's possible if it's a close friend or a family member, and they sense you're asking that question out of love versus, and you're, and they, and so it's possible, and I, I think we both invite you to say a prayer before you do that, that that person would be willing to open up and say, yeah, things have shifted for me, and I, you know, and maybe that would be the the chance in the right situation for that person to fully open up about what's going on in their faith journey in a way that would be helpful for them and helpful for you. And actually it brings your relationship together closer. Um, But it has to be the right tone and the right moment at the right spirit. And usually those um, don't work if it's just a casual friend or um, it's somebody that just knows you really care Um, and are really just wanting to understand versus prescribe. Mm -hmm. That's the key right there. And and perhaps that person isn't quite settled on exactly how this is going to work out. And they probably, and they perhaps want somebody in the church kind of walking with them as they're trying to figure this out um, so that they can process their faith journey with them. They, Often it's easier to find community of people that have left the church than kind of understand your questions than a community of people in the church that'll kind of walk with you as you're working through your faith questions. Now, you know, I don't want to, you know, because I do believe there are some people that are kind of halfway between both bridges, so to speak. They're on the bridge and they're not quite sure which side they're going to end up on. Um And um, if they only find belonging with people that have left the church that kind of get their questions and understand why they're feeling, they may feel like they belong there. Um, And then you do a good job tailoring supporting. But there may be a group that if they find people in the church and kind of get their questions and not shame them and not call them the tares and recognize their questions are coming out of love and concern and a deep understanding to understand and they find belonging with people that kind of get it and can walk with them. You know, this is not an agenda, but they might find there's a place for them still in the church, um, even with their questions and concerns. So just some thoughts, listeners, kind of in a non-agenda way for where um, people are, uh, you know, on this road. I like you bringing up the stages of faith. That was helpful for me, Taylor, when I think it's Fowler who taught. Yes, James um, Fowler. Now that you say it, it's coming back to me. And um if you, you know, listeners, you could Google um, James Fowler's Stages of Faith. I It helped me to understand where different people may be and how to relate to them based on where they are. It, the important thing about those stages of faith, it doesn't say, even though they're numbered, that one is better than the other. And I think Taylor inferred that, that they're not better than the other. They're just different. 
Um, but if you understand a stage three person versus a stage four person, you may just have better skills to connect with that person um, and understand where they're coming from. It may be easier for stage four people um, to do what Taylor's doing because you have a set of tools that you may not have in earlier stages to understand why someone's walking a different road and be at peace with them walking a different road. Now that may not, I hope that's okay. The way I said that, I just don't want to feel, I don't want anybody to feel shame for not being a, whatever stage they're in. And, and maybe not even infer that that doesn't make you as effective as a minister. If whatever faith you're stage you're in. Um, talk about your hopes for the future. That's another part of the outline we've kind of prepared, or um, if you want to talk about that. Um, sure. Basically, um, I don't have any big goals of like, I want to, I want to make money and have 500 episodes or anything like that. My main goal is that the content gets out. I just want people to hear it and have tools. Um, and actually, Richard, I would like to ask you, what does it mean to you to perfect the saints? Well, you know, I was thinking about listeners. It's kind of interesting you asked that question. I didn't know that question was coming, but we used to, you know, in the church, kind of this three mission of the state of the church. And I wish I could remember at the top of my head, perfect the saints. Can redeem I, the dead. Redeem the dead. Um, and proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. And I think a fourth was added. Um, with one of the presidents of our church. And we don't, it's like some things in the church, we don't talk about something will kind of be talked about a lot and then something won't be talked about. And I just, one of my morning walks, I recognize that um, we don't talk about those three or four um, areas of the church. We talk about um, staying on the covenant path and the importance of keeping our covenants and staying on the covenant path. And I think that's good. And I think talking about those three missions of the church is good. So it's just kind of a personal preference um, based on our leaders and and what resonates with them and what they'd like to share with the church membership. But perfecting the saints, to answer your question, Taylor, um, to me, I've always felt, I mean, I've just, I probably think about that on an individual level first. What do I need to do um, to better grow and better become more perfected, which is something I don't think any of us feel we need to accomplish here in earth life. It's just, hopefully, you know, it's three steps up and a step back and two steps up and a step back. And um, over a period of time, we can look back and see that we've made progress. And that's always been my personal goal. Um, so the word perfect is kind of a word that I don't embrace in my personal journey to grow. Um, it's more of a spiral staircase where I'm going up. And I, my goal is not perfection. Um, I like Elder Helen's talk where he says, be the therefore perfect eventually. And eventually for me is the next life. And I'm at peace with that. Now, if I had scrupulosity, which is a different subject, I probably wouldn't be at peace with that. Right. Um, so you can learn more about that if you haven't heard of scrupulosity. But another way to look at that, Taylor, is, you know, perfecting the saints if I, you know, looking at the leaders of our church and their goal for our entire membership, perfecting the saints, plural. And I guess it's probably the same thing, just helping the saints grow and be better. Um, and that would be measured by lots of, you know, I think staying on the covenant path is would be something that would be very consistent with perfecting the saints. 
um, lifting the burdens of others, being kinder and gentler and loving, loving. I think perfecting the saints would go hand in hand with temple work, which is a big focus for our church, especially with temples going out to all the people of the world. So those are a couple things that come to my mind. I love that. I love that a lot. I like that you mentioned um, Elder Holland's be there for perfect eventually. Um, my mom, I'm going to quote my mom right there with Good. Elder Holland. <laughs> but my mom, she gave a talk about, you know, how it can be really hard to hear the perfection, um, you know, in that phrase of like, oh, be there for perfect. Okay, well, now I feel like I'm a failure and that's damaging. Um, my mom said that we were given the perfect example in Jesus Christ to emulate. And so the father says to us, look to my son, be there for perfect. Um, what he didn't do was say, um, I'm not sending the savior. I'm going to send this random guy and look ye therefore to Joe Schmo and be therefore kind of all right. <laughs> That's how my mom kind of helped me interpret that as like a way that I could still palette it in a nice in a nice way without, you know, feeling shame about the fact that I'm not perfect. I never will be. But to me, I think of, you know, when it comes to perfecting the saints, I also think of, you know, staying on the covenant path. I think of keeping my covenants and being in the temple. And most of all, I think of what it means again to be therefore perfect is to look at Jesus, not to look at Joe Schmo and say, be therefore kind of okay. And so I want to just help the saints through this podcast to take these tools that I think are going to help them emulate the savior more instead of emulate Joe Schmo. Because when we're emulating Joe Schmo, most of the time we just ignore that person on the other side of the bridge because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to minister to them. And that's kind of weird. And I still do it guys. I'm not perfect clearly. Um, but I really feel like, you know, the Lord has put it on my heart that I need to, do this podcast. And I don't know anything about a podcast and I don't know technology, but I know that I love my savior and I know that I want everybody to know that he is good and, and know that there is love. And if I feel like, I feel like sometimes a lot of the way that I address things in my podcast is I'm most of the time, I think I'm speaking more towards the people that are in the church um, than, than the ones that have left, but I, I kind of let the ones that have left speak to that side. And I kind of speak more to the, the saints and my hope is to point them to the savior and, and to give them tools to minister to those that leave in the same way that the savior would in ways that aren't judgmental and condemning, but are still, you know, strict and, and steadfast perhaps is the word. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a flimsy about covenant keeping or flimsy about about my testimony which you know some people have decided to, to view me that way and I guess that's up to them you know for me my, my testimony is sacred and I I love the gospel and I want I want to be more like Jesus and I mean I'm trying all the time and I I feel like it's my hope that this content gets out there in a way that helps people be better and that's basically my goal. <laughs> that's those are my goals for the future. That the content gets out there, that people try and be a little bit kinder, that people are better at listening and reaching out and things, you know, exclusivity is diminished. I, you know, I hate those stories where you hear like, oh, my mom says that you can't play at our house because you're not a member of our church. No, those kind of stories like damage my soul when I hear that. I it's my hope to 
just do away with all of that kind of culture. I know that you've mentioned before on, on your podcast, like you don't need a temple recommend to eat at the dinner table with me kind of a mentality, just to help saints embrace that kind of mentality and, and know that there's nothing wrong or less than to, to be opening and loving and, you know, black and white thinking sometimes make you, makes you think that I can't, you know, fly a gay pride flag and have a temple recommend when in actuality, those aren't opposites at all, you know, and I just want to equip people with tools to think differently and love fully. So those are my goals for the future. I think those are great goals. And, um, you know, I think listeners, I, I think sometimes we get this false dichotomy. I've talked about to fully love and follow God. We have to stop loving some of his children. But I think my personal feeling is one of the things that makes our heavenly parents the most happy is we all get along and we love each other. Um, even those that are harder to love at the end of the day, that person quote unquote, that's harder to love is a child of the same heavenly parents. And our doctrine understanding of pre-earth life, and we all voted for the same plan in the pre-earth life ought to make us the most loving. Cause if we see with our pre-mortal eyes, and see with those eyes, we see that person in those lens as spirit, as our spirit brother and sister. And I think sometimes we complicate the gospel and we're not quite sure who we should love and how we should love them. If we love them too much, we're disappointing God and realize that there's some personal preference in our leaders that may not be exactly consistent with what I said. And I honor that. It's a space where there's probably different feelings as committed Latter-day Saints, but that's just where I've netted out. And unless it's a toxic relationship that's actually destructive to you, um, I think it's fine to cut those sort of people out of our lives. Um, I don't have any of those right now in my life, um, but some of you do, and they may be family members or a, a former spouse and the, or business or work, and that can happen at times. And I think you have to create boundaries to take care of yourself if it's a toxic situation. So I love what you said. And the, the pride flag to me is not a political symbol. It's a symbol of, I am a safe person for you if you're LGBTQ and you're walking a difficult road and I want you to feel safe if you want to, to come out to me or to know I can talk about this space and I'm not going to say things perhaps that I could, I guess I that I'd be less likely to say things that would add to your burden. And so, you know, I think Jesus would be fine with doing us, helping us as Latter-day Saints do anything that caused people to open up about the realities of their life. And some people look at the pride flag in kind of a political way, remind them of pride parades from a long time ago that were, you know, just, and maybe even currently that are a little hard for them. But most people look at that these days is just, I'm a safe person. I support church and church leaders and church doctrine, but I want to communicate, especially to closeted LGBTQ youth, that I'm a safe person. Um, but so I like that. Talk about um, some of the people you look up to. That's another thing I think we want to talk about. I do. Absolutely. But before I do that, can I say one more thing? <laughs> yes, this is your time. Okay, thanks. Um I guess it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, I do listen to a couple other really great podcasts and on the faith matters podcast plug for them. They're awesome. Um, I heard this sort of analogy of um, a move to a healthy place and sometimes how 
instead of moving to a healthy place, you move to the opposite of what used to be. Um, they used the example of um, marriage in the 50s. And marriage in the 50s was very much the nuclear family and everybody played a specific role and had their place. And it seems that, you know, we've done the, a pendulum swing of extremes from then to now. And now children are always being born out of wedlock and there's more cohabitation than there are marriages and divorce rates are really high. And, and so I feel like in the sense that sometimes people find something that is not the greatest about how things used to be. Um, you know, marriages in the fifties, they're not perfect. They, they had problems and they were often misogynistic and um, there was a lot of shame and secrets and like, we don't talk about issues and um, just things that, you know, back then that was the approach and maybe they had an extreme, you know, shift to, well, we're not going to do the family anymore. And so you're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, when you are doing those extreme shifts. And I think that, you know, another goal that I have and a hope for the future is to help people recognize maybe when they're doing that in their own lives. And instead of um, doing an extreme black or white swap, um, let's just move to healthy. Um, but I also want to give some grace to the fact that if you're trying to move from unhealthy, like if you're trying to move away from the marriage in the fifties to go to a better place, that's great that you're moving away from the unhealthy. And so perhaps you've overcorrected and the pendulum has swung all the way over here. And now it's all about, um, I don't know, um, cohabitation and everything. And, you know, you were just trying to get away from the unhealthy, but ultimately let's move to healthy. And I don't know if it's a literal pendulum swing is a good example of that, because I feel like there's more than a three-dimensional plane. Like we go anywhere, anywhere. There's this healthy place we're trying to get and we're swinging from one side and we try the extreme on the other and oh, that's not quite it either um yeah but again the people in the faith matters podcast when they did that episode they said hey well you know the solution is not to go all the way back to how it was in the 50s it's to move to a more healthy place and i just i love that and i, I just embrace that and i think yeah we do that all the time in our minds because we're wired to think in black and white thinking and we think, well, I'm trying to do the opposite of what I see here because what I see here is bad. And instead, let's just try to separate what, what is actually bad. And can I move to healthy without, you know, destroying everything about what could have been good? And so um, I think my hopes for the future are just, again, to equip people with tools like that, to give them thoughts like that, to get them thinking, oh, I have black and white tendencies. Oh, I, I had a very unhealthy paradigm shift just now oh, I have an us versus them mentality towards this minority group, and I never realized it. So um, I'm going to just keep talking about what you asked before and, and blend that into people who I look up to, because I really do look up to a lot of people that have helped me have these discoveries and ideas, because oh, I'll tell you, I didn't come up with them off the top of my head. <laughs> I am not that smart. Um, and I have mom brain really hard. I'm like up to my neck and sometimes drowning and in motherhood. And it's like, yeah, I'm not that smart. So I definitely credit Brene Brown. I've learned a lot about vulnerability from her books. And, um, I did mention Rendlin's talk. I will credit a lot of, you know, conference talks that I look up to those references. I look up to you, Richard, and I look up to your brother, David, in the work that you're doing. Um, just, you know, all about ministering to these people, all about loving these people. I just am so happy with that. And, and the faith matters podcast has been 
a great podcast for me to listen to often on my Facebook page. I'm like, okay, now go listen to this episode from the faith matters podcast. I like their podcast more than I like mine. <laughs> so, um, that's been great. And, um, another resource that I've used that I would reference to anybody is, um, cinema therapy where I know Jonathan Decker was on your, on your podcast recently. And he said, he's got the gift for what would he call it? Like edutainment, educationally entertaining people. And, um, I just agree. Jonathan does a great job um, in, a, in a way that entertains me that I'm always learning little tidbits of like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to use that in my podcast. That's a tool. That's a that's a healthy tool for bridge building. And um, I especially loved their episode about Wonder Woman because that was all about uh, healthy paradigm shifts. And we're going to do kind of a, um, a podcast episode about paradigm shifts in the future, too. So uh, I have learned a lot of great things from cinema therapy. Um, great things from David Offler's book, obviously basically inspired my podcast. And I recently started reading your book, one of your books, the one about bettering Latter-day Saint culture. I'm not finished yet, but I got it. It came in the mail and I've been reading it. And um, again, I just, I love the things you've said on your podcast about not needing a temple recommend to welcome people in your homes. And I don't know, I look up to some of those people, give them a little credit there. So it's great. Thank you. And I, um, other things you want to come, any other things you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I would just strongly encourage you to, you know, if for any reason you think I might know something, <laughs> then to, you know, check out one of my episodes and, you know, find a topic that could interest you. And especially if it could benefit a relationship in your life, that's really my hope. And, um, but I would like to ask you a few questions if that's okay. Sure. I did want to know, you know, what kind of inspired you starting this podcast? Well, that's a good question. My Facebook posts got a little long and my son-in-law was commuting in DC on the subway and he says, you know, I can't read your Facebook posts. You ought to just start a podcast and sort of just orally communicate your Facebook posts. And I quickly realized that it would be a great platform for other people to share their stories. So. Um, that's really what it's become is a, a platform for other people to share their stories. And um, I don't talk too much on the podcast. I figure I, I do a couple solo episodes, but I just feel that's one of the gifts I can give um, to use my privilege. Brene Brown's taught me about privilege, and I have a lot of privilege mm -hmm. um, at this station of life in Latter-day Saint world and culture. So I feel one of the things I can do is amplify the voices of other people that perhaps wouldn't. We don't hear their voices. So I feel really strongly there's a lot of untold stories where people just don't have the platform for their stories to be told. And stories change heart and bring us together and help us create Zion. And often stories prick us a little bit because we hear things we haven't ever considered before. And it causes us to look inward and say, what do I need to change? And I've certainly tried to do that. Um, when I was a YSA bishop in a different part of town, I met with people were kind of outside my normal circle. Um, undocumented workers would be one example, and just people that I had never met firsthand at a couple gay men that I priested responsibility for. And um, there were stories I heard just part of listening to people outside that were helpful for me. So that's kind of, you know, part of my journey then to do this podcast and um, the books I've written aren't too much about me. They're more about how we can better create Zion and amplify the voices of others. And 
I think our listeners have heard this, but I love the trap of unearned opinions is sort of, I shouldn't develop opinions about groups of people until I talk to a lot of people in that group. Um, I can't talk to one gay person and sort of know that space for everybody. I can't talk to one person that's separated from the church and then make conclusions about everybody. And that's what you're doing as good as amplifying the voices, because I think that helps bring us together as the same human family. I love that um, you brought that up. Two things I wanted to talk about when you sing that. um, I want to talk about Zion a little bit and then also the fact that you know, people, and we're, we're taught, at least I was, as, you know, a Mormon, quote unquote, because that's not what we say anywhere. But um, you don't want people to say, oh, I draw all these conclusions about Mormons because my, my neighbor was, you know, and so we don't want to do the same thing to other people. You want to get, and we've encouraged other people, you know, if you want to know about my religion, you should go to the source and ask people of that religion. And I said that as a missionary and Um, I I continue to say like, that's the the best information you can get from somebody is, you know, asking them directly. And I hadn't heard about the, um, was it, was it a book you referenced or something that, that mentioned doing that? That was really cool. I can't remember, but um, yeah, I love your point that I remember having uh, one of my favorite Institute teachers, Michael Wilcox said, well, if you want to learn about Judaism, go talk to a committed Jew (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and talk to a lot of them. Um, Don't talk to somebody who's left Judaism to learn about Judaism. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a principle there that we should talk to people, uh, multiple people in different circles to learn about that circle and um, or not develop opinions about Jewish people in this example until we talk to a lot of Jewish people especially those that are deeply committed to their faith. Absolutely. Also, other faiths are really cool and we can learn so much from them. And um, yeah, Michael Wilcox. Oh my gosh. His episode on faith matters. Episode 86, I believe everyone should go listen to it. So good. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. It was one of my favorites, but I would also like to talk about Zion because um, I, I feel like my mission gave me a strong foundation in Zion, in Zionism. <laughs> I'm going to make that word up, but Love it. I had an incredible, incredible mission experience and my mission president, oh my gosh, his whole family. It wasn't just my mission president. It was my mission president family. Where did you serve and Taylor? I served in the Massachusetts, Boston mission. And my mission president was Dan and Allison Packard and they had three children with them. And then their oldest Brent was off serving a mission, but, um, And then their other kids were younger enough to be in the house. And gosh, President Packard always talked to us about Zion. And in our companionships, there was no junior and senior companions. It was always a Zion companionship. And um, it was just taught very, very strongly of the importance of of building Zion. It was, you know, every time he was was teaching us something for his own conference or mission conference, he's going to talk about Zion now. And I've heard you talk a lot about Zion and building Zion from your podcast. And I'd love to just hear you reiterate how what you're doing and what I'm attempting to do could be a step towards building Zion um, in your experience or your thoughts, any of your thoughts on that? Well, um, I just felt listeners that Zion was sameness. Uh, You did a great quote from Elder Rendland that tries to help us understand Zion isn't sameness. 
So I grew up in a very homogeneous part of Salt Lake City in a very homogeneous time in the 70s. And everybody around me seemed to be like me politically, skin color. I wasn't aware of anybody um, really different than me. I um, wasn't aware of any LGBTQ people probably until after high school. And I thought that's what Zion was. And my grandmother used to say, you know, I hope you all live in the same zip code. And I thought that's what Zion was. But Zion to me is unity and diversity to use other cooks language. And they're all unified in a common cause to lift the burdens of others. I look at the city of Enoch and study the city of Enoch quite a bit. And one of the sort of action things that made possible by where the people of Enoch were was there was no poor among them. So there's sort of an action word. Um, or because they were so unified, it doesn't just mean they were, you know, in their individual silos being obedient and on the covenant path and perfectly and just, but they were not in their individual silos. They were out helping that there were no poor among them. So to me, Zion is sort of an action word to reach out and lift the hands of those that need to be lifted. And um, using our differences to do that. Um, Zion is um, differences in political parties. Zion is differences in straight and um, not straight um, men and women. Um, Zion is me listening to younger Latter-day Saints that perhaps we don't hear their voices like yours, Taylor. You're a woman. You're younger. Um, Yes, you have a college degree, but our culture sometimes would turn to somebody like me who's had, you know, a couple decades of church experience and sort of that's back to my, at times it's good that even though I have privilege in our culture to amplify and ask questions of others, um, because Zion is learning from and even being open to learn from people that have quote unquote less experience. What can I learn from Taylor, um, to help me be a better person, even though Taylor has less life experiences. And I think sometimes we mute um, younger voices, women's voices, and we're not creating Zion because culturally we sometimes don't amplify or listen to your voices. So that's kind of a long answer, but it's all of us coming together in the body of Christ and our differences um, to not only be on the covenant path, but to me, being on the covenant path is just part one. <laughs> it allows us then, because we're in a good spot you know, because we're taking care of ourselves in a relationship with our Heavenly Father to go then horizontal and bear more in comfort. So, you know, it's not just me and salvation is a joint affair. It's not just an individual affair and exaltation is a joint affair. And there's no, um, it's not like a fixed pie where if I bring others with me, there's less for me. Mm-hmm. Um, exal- exaltation is reaching out and bringing as many people with me. That's what heaven's about versus me just isolating myself and separating myself from other people in a personal journey. It, one of the challenges of the covenant path is it feels very individualistic. And it sort of says, you're on your covenant path, I'm on my covenant path. But I think there's a a visual I'm kind of working in my mind that our covenant paths to work effectively intersect each other and we help and lift and support. And it's very much community of Zion um, coming together to help each other. Um, And some people, quote unquote, aren't on the covenant path. And part of Zion is creating space for those people as members of the same human family. 
and not just seeing everybody by are they on the covenant path or not because that can be othering um mm-hmm. and a way of um othering people by where they are and where they not are and i think we need to see everybody as the same children of the same heavenly parents so anyway you got me going a little bit there but i loved it i think we're coming to the end we're at the hour mark um so i don't know if you want to share some more thoughts just in conclusion or i'll just turn it to you to do whatever you want to do oh okay um well thank you for sharing your wisdom Zion, I feel like is a community word too. And if we're all, yeah, a family word and a community word, I feel like, yeah, Zion is a community word was the thought that came to my mind. But then I thought a step above community and what is actual is that we are family. So I like the thought that Zion is a family word. And so thank you. Just thank you for your wisdom. I appreciate it. And, um, you talked a lot about your privilege and, um, I also feel, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you, you talk to so many people that have had heart-wrenching experiences and you give them voice and you talk a lot about like, you're, you're the wounded healer because you've gone through this and you can't successfully help other people go through something unless you've gone through it yourself. And um, I don't know if you consider yourself to be a wounded healer in any way, but I don't really consider myself to be a wounded healer. And you know, sometimes I think, you know, who am I to doing this podcast. Who am I? I? I haven't, I don't have the street cred and I don't have, um, this life experience. Um, I don't know if, if you've struggled with that. And I think you kind of make up for it by saying, well, what I'm doing is I'm giving voice to others. And I think I kind of tell myself that as well, but you know, to other people out there that haven't necessarily had a horrible life, I think there's still a role to play in and some good to be done. So can you speak to that at all? Well, um, the wounded healer, you know, and my listeners, if probably the most vulnerable chapter I've written that might give you insights and I won't go on to now is in this second book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. And chapter two is a chapter called Use, um, whoops, I'm in the wrong book. <laughs> Hang on, listeners. Um, I'm just pulling up a copy of the chapters and I'm uh, measuring Chapter two is called Measuring Progress by Coming Unto Christ and Not Callings. And I realized that as a youth, I got kind of hardwired to measure my worth by church calling. And I realized that measuring your worth by something that's not in your control is not a good idea. So I <laughs> felt some pain in that area and is pretty vulnerable in that chapter about tr- my work to un- hard- unwire myself, to see myself by developing Christ-like attributes and things that are in my control. So that probably is a little wounding experience I've had. Um, And that allows me, I think, to better understand why some people may have difficult experiences because I've had some difficult experience, but perhaps we're all the wounded healer a little bit. But, um, you know, another chapter in that book was written by two women is better valuing women's voices um, so Taylor obviously is a woman and, um, I recognize I need more skill. Um, and as I read that chapter that these two women wrote listeners, I recognize that I wish I'd read that chapter 10 or 20 years ago, cause I would have better used women's voices to help, you know, create Zion in any church callings I had where perhaps I wasn't wired to listen to women's voices or younger people's voices. And often 
while they may not have the bench of experience that I had, they had unique and valuable and needed insights. And Elder Ballard talks a lot about counseling together. And I think we need to um, be perhaps better listeners and be open to suggestions and impressions that others, and there may be somebody in a council that's, you can tell is a little reserved and, um, but may just have the golden nugget you've been praying for that can help solve a problem. So, you know, I guess we're all the wounded here a little bit, but I'm grateful you're doing this podcast, Taylor. And um, this is me talking to Taylor, anybody that's sort of younger, and maybe there's other people that have already done it or seem to have a better handle on something or more experience. Don't go down that road. Don't go down the comparison road. Don't go down the road that there's already somebody do this. Um, do what you think you should do. It's a team effort and you will reach some people in your service or in this case, Taylor's podcast that other people couldn't reach. So act on your impressions to serve the way you can even, and don't look in the mirror and say, I can't do this. Um, somebody else is already doing this. I don't have the experience or whatever. Um, and even if whatever you're thinking you do for a while and it doesn't quite work out, it may give you the skills and insights to do something next that you weren't able to do that is actually the thing that's more sustainable in the long run because you've had experience with something that didn't quite work out. Um, so often in my life, I've seen people that have maybe had a few things that didn't quite work out, but it led to something that did work out that wouldn't be possible without some experience just trying things and risking things and being brave and vulnerable. It's hard to fail sometimes. It's hard to have things not work out, but often that allows other things to happen that wouldn't be possible. And that's just part of growing in mortality. So I'm so glad you've had on the podcast, um, Taylor Niebergall. I think I said your name right. Yeah. It's the coolest name, Taylor Niebergall, N-I-E-B-E-R-G-A-L-L. And we'll link to your podcast in the show notes and um, glad you're having, glad what you're doing. So thank you, Taylor. Any final thoughts? I don't think so. Just um, thank you. Thank you for the validation and and for the wisdom. And let's just keep on doing what we feel like we can do to make life a little bit better, I guess. It's a team effort. So this is Richard and Taylor Niebergall signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>